Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and Health Talk, Legacy Food and Health Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and Health Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and Health Talks is now Changemaker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Food and Health Talks. On this episode, we have a very special guest who will be discussing with us food innovation and how innovators are working hard to bring snacks that are healthy for the environment and healthy for us to the marketplace. Our guest today is Jenny Kinderwell Moore, the founder and CEO of Snacktivist. Johnny earned a bachelor's degree in botany before becoming an ICU nurse. And now she's innovating and creating change in the food industry. Johnny, it's such a pleasure to have you here. It's a huge honor to be here, honestly. I'm a huge fan of the work you're doing, Dr. Julia. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. So we'll get started. You know, um, you have an impressive background. You started yeah. with Butty and then you became a registered nurse and, and now you founded a company. So tell us a little bit about you. What, what yeah. led you to your training and your educational background as a whole? Well, honestly, I started out my life in rural Oregon on a farm. And so I really grew up with a deep connection to food and to the natural world. Um, when you grow up farming, you just have a different, you know, set of skills that make you really connected to the land. <clears throat> and so I definitely can attribute a lot of where I am today because of my upbringing in that way. But I was always really drawn to the sciences. And my dad was a huge, um, you know, kind of a consummate student of the sciences as well. And so I, you know, immediately went into studying biology and anthropology, actually both in college. And naturally that led me to be very curious about how people use plants and the role of um, food and medicinal plants in health and in human pathophysiology. So I ended up getting a degree in botany, but my, my whole emphasis as an undergrad was in um, botanical chemistry. And I was very interested in how botanical chemistry <clears throat> creates both impact in, in, you know, food as a, as a medicine and also medicinal plants that we could then look further to explore for development of, of actual pharmaceuticals um, for big time cures of things. So I did spend some time at the bench 
assisting with that. But I also spent some time as a um, just a general lab um, assistant too in soil sciences. And I have to say at the time, I don't think I fully appreciated how that would affect me later in life. But now where I am, fast forward, you know, 30 years later, um, soil is, is actually becoming a huge part of my personal platform of how I feel like we can impact the earth and, and help nutrition and the planet both. That's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. So at what point did you decide we're going into nothing? Well, it happened um, a few years after I had been working um, as an ethnobotanist and then working for Forest Service and doing some other jobs as an ethnobotanist. And my husband had gone into nursing and he ended up getting a position in rural Alaska. And so we were living in a bush community and I was doing some ethnobotany work. I had just been actually um, the year previous down in the Amazon and had an opportunity to work um, deep in the Amazon forest with a group of really brilliant people. And it, it was a very formative experience because I realized I, I didn't love living in the jungle. Honestly, it was not where I could see myself spending six, eight months of the year. Yeah. And, um, and my husband had this opportunity to go work in a bush community in Alaska. And of course, the thrill of adventure calls. And I became really enchanted with the idea of, of working with people one-on-one. You know, he would go to work and someone would have a baby and someone would have a heart attack and somebody just needed help. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that every day you go to work, you're making a meaningful impact on somebody. And that's when I decided I was, you know, just wanting to help people. And I thought nursing would be a great way to do that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's remarkable. That's mm -hmm. really remarkable. So as an healthcare professional or during your career as an healthcare professional, did you have some experiences or did you observe some patterns with patients that triggered your curiosity into food and health? Yes, huge. Um, I ended up really gravitating into critical care. So ER, ICU, cardiac, cardiac care and diabetic education. And I spent literally thousands of hours working one-on-one -on -one with patients and people who were in really dire health um, situations that could potentially shorten their life and greatly impact the quality of their life. And time and time again, it came down to psychology surrounding food and behavioral choices. Mm -hmm. And I started to find that it was easier to, even to encourage people to exercise than it was to get them to make food choices because of the deep psychology and the deep connections we have to food. Mm -hmm. Time and time again, it kept coming down to grain-based foods. Um, and I realized, you know, I was definitely like a health nut. So ate a lot of healthy foods and I was personally happy with kale chips and almonds, but you know, the average consumer was not. And then I became a mother and the same thing applies to children. I mean, if you send them to school with, you know, a super healthy granola lunch, they're um, probably going to be trading for a bag of Cheetos with their <laughs> classmates. And that's just the reality of where we're at. Um, so I became very passionate about trying to crack the code of how we can make a better carbohydrate staple food and became really obsessed with foundational foods globally mm -hmm. and the history of foundational foods. Um, the foods that really built civilizations around the world are consistently carbohydrate based. So there's really something magical about a consistent carbohydrate base to building, you know, like complex civilizations as we know it today. And unfortunately in the United States, um, our complex carbohydrates are killing us. So we've reached that end of the continuum. And I feel like history holds a lot of the answers of how we can solve that. So 
I ended up becoming really keenly focused on ancient grains, um, especially the ones in the gluten-free sector, because um, myself and my son don't tolerate a lot of wheat. We're not celiac, but if we eat too much of it, it just, there's a, a, a healthcare kind of sequelae that happens that it's just best for us to avoid it. So, and that started for me driving combine in high school. I could not harvest wheat same thing happened. So there's something going on with wheat and I'm not the only one because, you know, 25% of the American public is, um, you know, vocalizing that they think that wheat contributes to their healthcare problems. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, that's really interesting. And, and yeah. it's, it's um, it, kind of like a, a common trend we've been seeing more and more. A lot of people are innovating in the space that they're really, really passionate about so that would yeah. lead me to talk about your company you're the founder and ceo of snacktivist foods so Correct. um what led you to starting this company or or maybe we should start with tell us a bit about the company what do you yeah do? so snacktivist is dedicated to that innovation process in the grain and pulse sector so we really believe that anything that we eat that's grain based um can be made better for us um and with better sourcing that's impact to uh the agricultural sector as well and so we started out early on because of this challenge i had with my children where we had multiple food sensitivities. I'm allergic to eggs, like bonafide allergic to eggs, which is interesting because I had chickens growing up, lots of them. <laughs> so I, I don't know how that happened, but um, it's it's really interesting because I started exploring different foods that were options for my family. And so many of them really failed when it came to flavor, performance, nutrition. A lot of the things that were gluten-free and available, you know, eight, 10 years ago were completely void of nutrition. I mean, they were just like tapioca starch and white rice and sugar. And to me, that was not an acceptable substitution. So what really motivated me to start Snacktivist was um, people loved our food. And in fact, we would make it and take it to events. Um, I have a friend who owns a a bunch of really upscale restaurants and he would invite me to come to these culinary events and I would serve our products to James Beard award-winning chefs and they would come back for seconds and thirds and go, what is this? This is amazing. And I'd tell them it's gluten-free, it's vegan, it's all sustainably sourced. And they, they literally couldn't believe it. So that really motivated, motivated me to take the, this product line to market. That's really impressive. You know, um, I don't know if you know about this company, um, Int. That was exactly how it started. She, she uh, was trying to cut back on sugary drinks. And then yes. in her kitchen, she just started trying... Um, flavored water and before yeah. you know it she's um, a global company so same thing yeah. here this she's one like, of my heroes honestly yeah. <laughs> like I follow her on LinkedIn and I you know I'm just always so inspired by those other founders that mm-hmm. had a, a need at home and turn it into a multinational global company, company and yes yeah and when I look at the the state of our foundational foods I'm there are so many parallels to hemp because at that time, looking at like sodas and snapples and all the sugar filled drinks out there, it's like, you're like, why isn't anybody doing this? This mm-hmm. is so important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And just like you solving a problem, it's so good to see women, you know, stepping up yeah. to the plate and say, you know what, I think my kids should eat better. We should eat yeah. better. So we'll do something yeah. about it. That's really, really we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a mom of three and I just was like, I can sit here and wish these foods existed and mm-hmm. wish that they were being served at school, or I can just get, go out there and try to make it happen. So right. 
I, I just figured I might as well give it a shot. <laughs> that, that's great. That's that's really great. So what are your thoughts about the food industry as a whole? And, and how can we build a healthier food ecosystem? Yeah, there are so many places that need help when you look at the entire food system, because our food system is very, very sick and very, very broken foundationally from the ground up. And um, being a, somebody who grew up with farmers, I have a really... Um, like a deep soft spot in my heart for farmers and farming communities. And I feel like the food system needs to be rebuilt from the ground up, literally starting with the soil because the, the state of our global soils um, and our global arable lands is, is pretty dire. And in fact, um, you know, there have been many authorities that have estimated that we maybe have, you know, 50, 60 harvests left before they're so sterile that they won't be able to support um, the crops. So to me, that's a that's an urgency on multiple levels. But when it comes down to food, what we're finding is that these exhausted top soils are not producing foods that are nutritionally dense. And so that's something that needs to be corrected. And where we've taken action there is through um, enhancement of biodiversity in our in our fields. Um, interesting fact is uh, since it's actually a very scary fact, but in the since 1900, we've lost 90% of our agricultural diversity, genetic diversity. And a lot of that is, is gone forever. Um, luckily, there are still a number of seed banks. I even know like incredible like farmer guys, uh, these guys, they happen to be men, and they're out digging through old abandoned silos and barns and trying to find kernels of wheat that they can still sprout and Bring and, and revive because there are ancient uh, genetics that have been lost in the land race varietals. So I feel like that's a huge place where consumers can help um, by demanding biodiversity. We can get back to reliance on multiple species that bring us nutrition instead of just eight core plant-based foods that the world is getting, you know, 95% of their calories from. That's, that's, that's really cool. And it, the way you dived deep into how we, uh, how we can enhance biodiversity. What is going on? What's the problem that we're facing and what's causing it and how we can yeah. improve on that? That's, uh, that's really, um, really great. And then when you think about production in terms of food, um, food production yeah. now, so we have snacks, we have beverage, we have, um, we have different packaged foods, which are sure. different things uh, that um, people are exposed to every day. We have, we have, um, grocery shelves that grocery store shelves that are stocked with so many items and mm. people pick from those so especially in the snack space where you are um, innovating what do you think um, what do you think is going on now mm -hmm. that is good for us and uh, what do you think yeah. is an area of improvement you know when you look around and you say hmm, this industry yeah. this is the change we need you know absolutely and, yeah. There is so much cool innovation happening. I think especially in snacks because snacks are so approachable and they're not a big commitment. Snacks don't have a lot of commitment associated with them. They're kind of like, they're very experimental by nature. And so I think that's why snacks have always been a huge passion point for us or like grab and go foods that are smaller portions um, just because it's not such a big commitment and people can go, wow, I love this millet cookie or, oh my gosh, these sorghum crackers are amazing. Like what is sorghum? Um, so that's, that's a huge thing is that customer discovery process. That's, that's great. So what trends are you observing um, with the pandemic? So COVID-19 pandemic was something that came and disrupted 
so many things mm-hmm. and oh, change yeah. also people's preferences in a way you know so yeah. how has this affected um the food industry in your perspective what have you seen with consumers um during this past 18 20 20 months what what, what are your experiences yeah definitely it was revolutionizing to the food industry um from everything from scarcity and people realizing the fragility of supply chains for the first time in generations. Um, My mother and father-in-law are nearing 90 years old and they remember the supply chain disruptions from World War II. And they have the wisdom of looking back through a long life, um, you know, eight decades and saying, okay, this is the first time in almost a hundred years that Americans and people, you know, in, in North America have experienced scarcity. Um, at, on a population level. And I think that that was a huge wake up call for, for people who had never thought about where their next meal was coming from. You know, they were really privileged to have uh, a constant, you know, access to food. And then to the secondary value tier there was that they said, well, is this food of good quality? You know, is this contributing to the health conditions that make me more susceptible to COVID? COVID really um, opened up that whole conversation because unfortunately, um, the mortality rates and people who had secondary disease processes already in place um, from diabetes to high blood pressure, et cetera, had a much higher mortality rate. And that's just a fact. Um, It's really, really unfortunate, but I think it made a lot of people fearful that they need to take care of their bodies so that they're more resilient to diseases like COVID. That's so true. I mean, you eat on so many important points there. And um, I, I still remember the feeling of walking into the store and seeing empty shelves and seeing yeah. signs that say pick one, only one. Actually, if yeah. you scan more than one, um, you know, right. this mobile hub, it would just decline. You say, no, you can only take one. So I, I, I remember the feel mm-hmm. and it was really um, a first time just saying things like that. And yeah. I also agree with you on how people, um, people got curious about food and their health in terms of the, mm. a lot of searches that people were making on how can I boost my immunity? How can I, yeah. what can I do? People yeah. are really, really curious. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, when there's curiosity on something, there were a lot of products that hit the market around that time saying, boost your immunity with the yeah. supplements, <laughs> boost, you know. So yes. it, was just, uh, it's just, it was just a very, very, um, very, very interesting experience. Uh, Absolutely. But I also, yeah, I also think it's also an experience we can learn from mm-hmm. on many levels in terms of, uh, okay, how can we build resilience into our food system so that, we don't experience that level of scarcity again. Right. How can we really inform and educate people so that they just do not buy anything because they're scared, they're worried, they're anxious or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. there's just um, so many things that we could, um, we could learn from this experience. And I, I was just curious yeah. that um, <clears throat> in terms of the future of food and the food industry as a whole post Um, COVID-19 pandemic, where do you see the food industry going and what do you envision for for the future? I think that moving forward um, post-COVID, our food system is going to have a radical shift that somewhat mimics um, some of the other shifts we're seeing in industries like finance 
where there's a decentralization movement happening. Um, you look at what's happened with our food industry and how it got to the stage that it is now is because of massive vertically integrated centralized um, entities, mega, mega, mega corporations own, you know, the majority of the food that's on the shelves and the majority of the seeds that are grown, grown in fields and the majority of chemical inputs that are put on the fields. And you, when you start to see that there is risk there because of the lack of diversification, mm -hmm. um, both in like the actual foods we're eating, but in the companies that are involved in getting food to market, um, I think that this decentralization movement, it will come into the food industry and it will create um, more stakeholders who are involved, um, more stakeholders who are working with farmers to grow more diversified fields, to grow them in a regenerative way so that they're not reliant on constant chemical inputs. They're not reliant on um, the things that our current system is reliant on. And that will revolutionize everything. I mean, it, that is such a fundamental change um, to the entire system that it's almost overwhelming to think about. I mean, that's a, that's a disruption that is every bit as huge as the, the tech disruptions that have happened in the last 20 years. So I look at it as a huge opportunity to really um, be able to move the needle in a way where food is being um, improved from a nutritional standpoint, from a climate impact standpoint, and from a health standpoint. And this is nexus point is where um, we're going to see that we can't fix our trillion dollar healthcare problem without a massive disruption of our food industry. Right. We just can't. Right. So we can't. Yeah, we absolutely yeah. agree with you. We can. And um, when you envision the future of um, your company, how do you um, plan to in, um, disrupt the space as well? Like, what do you see your company doing in the next five years? So in the next five years, we will be immediately making that shift from just baking mixes, which is where we were during COVID, um, into other finished product goods so that we can, you know, really meet customers where they're at. We know people don't have time to cook. I often don't have time to cook and I own a food business. So I, I want to make it easy for people to participate in this new food economy. Um, and I want to invite the consumers into a new experience. And I'm not the only one who's doing this. Um, there are a few other brands that are really trying to bring consumers closer in to the circle of where their food's coming from and um, you know, make them be more farmer connected, make them be more connected to the process where they can you know, look at a pizza, a frozen pizza crust and go, oh, wow, this pizza crust used this much water, you know, to make. And water is the new economic currency of farming. <laughs> like, I mean, it really is. Water scarcity is a big deal. And, um, oh, and it, and, it, and it contributed to this much carbon sequestration. Like, those are very novel concepts to put into food because we've always looked at food from a, like an egocentric attribute perspective. Like, what is it free from, you know, how does it affect me? It's always about the consumer of like, how does this affect me? Does it make me, you know, gain weight or lose weight? Or it's, it's all about me where I feel like the future will be moving towards like, it's all about us. Like, how does this food affect like the community? How does this food affect the planet? Um, and it's a decentralization thinking that I think that our whole society and our whole world will be shifting into. We have to. We have to, yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely there's so much change going on around us. And um, yeah. and it's exciting to see people more aware 
of the need for these changes. And, and think about uh, the movement we're seeing uh, towards plant-based plant-based products from meats to seafood to snacks. Um, just yeah. think about any part of um, the food ecosystem. There's just a lot of innovation going on. Even yes. when you think about the straws we use. I, yeah. I recently went to Europe and I got a drink and I was just drinking. I was like, okay, this feels different. And then I realized I wasn't using a regular straw. It was a paper yeah. straw. Initially, I didn't even know. So it was pretty much just like regular. It was just normal. Like, yes. so it, it's, uh, it's quite impressive to just see all the changes. It's not just people thinking yes. about it, but people taking action to um, yeah. improve, um, improve our food system. And it's like a critical momentum at that point, because you start having people who are working in all the different components and when you add it all up, the impact of the food and beverage sector, if you're looking at everything from agriculture all the way through packaging, um, there's a reason why it's such a big deal. I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge sector with a huge, huge footprint. Right. And um, if we can make food work for us and work for our planet, like it, it's a, it's a, it's an incomprehensible impact on our future and the, and the lives of our future generations. That's great. That's really great. So if someone is listening today and they're thinking, wow, I want to innovate in this space. There's so much need all around from your experience. What advice can you give that person? Well, it's CPG is a very like consumer packaged goods in general is it's a, it's a very, tricky industry to just jump into without any industry know-how. I mean, I think all industries are like that, but I, I think that food and beverage is especially so um, because if you try to just fake it till you make it, you end up wasting a lot of money and it's a capital intensive industry. So um, I always recommend to anybody who's interested in food and beverage is, is really to reach out to people who are veterans in the industry and um, you know, really surround yourself by people who understand what it's going to really cost to do to do something, and they know the right people to call and and talk to. They understand all the path to market um, complexities using distributors and brokers and sales reps. And it's um, you know, I think that there's a few viral stories out there where someone just said, "Oh, cool!" They just kind of stumbled onto this amazing idea and it went viral, and they were able to put everything into place very quickly and actually capture that momentum. But more often than not, um, even wildly successful food brands that grow too fast um, can sometimes go out of business just because of not really um, fully understanding that the complexities of the industry and what it costs to scale. And it is very expensive. So if you have wealthy family, that's, that's going to make your life a much easier, um, you know, honestly, or like really, you know, like, um, you know, if you went to college with people that have access to capital. So yeah, and, and, and I absolutely agree with you that people, it's so crucial that when, whenever you want to start something to network with people that really know, um, yeah. and people that have done done this um, extensively ahead of um, ahead of you thank you so much for making time yeah. to connect and share with us today it's been really great getting to know you getting to know about what you do yeah. and, and just discussing the food industry with you 
Sure. It's been super awesome. Oh, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, Dr. Julia, because <laughs> there's like all these other things that I, I dream of talking to you about someday that are more science driven. Okay. Um, you know, all the innovation that can happen as we explore non-typical commodities and right. the functional food and science behind like the millets, which are mm. ancient grains of Africa and Asia. And they have the power to actually impact diabetes and their food. You know, I just think that that's where the food trends will be going as food as medicine becomes a more accepted cultural norm. Definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. Thanks again. And um, to all our listeners, thank you so much for making time to connect with us today. And until the next time, we will bring another exceptional guest your way. Do stay safe. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel. Share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.